Hello and welcome to UX Consulting Academy. My name is JJ. This is UX Consulting Podcast, episode 10 with Ian Kundi. Ian, how are you doing? Morning, very well. You? Yeah, doing well. Thank you. Doing well. Uh, really great to have you here. Um, for everybody listening, Ian is the founder and CEO at Section 20 Solutions. And I'd just like to start by reading off the first line of his bio, both for a personal bio for the company. It says, my passion is making things secure. This passion, coupled with my diverse experience, has made Section 20 Solutions one of the fastest growing cyber companies in the UK. So really interesting stuff all about cybersecurity. You're also doing work in training and security labs, things like this. So I'm super excited to have you here. Can't wait to learn more about what you do. So for people listening, perhaps you can give us more of an intro, tell us about what you do and the kind of work you're doing at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us. Um, yeah, essentially, uh, I started the company just over a year ago um, off the back of uh, working for GE. Uh, I'd been working in kind of the smart building and Internet of Things space for the last kind of three or four years. Um, I really uh, sort of positioned myself in that space uh, as the market grew into a new product sector and new things that were getting installed into buildings and people's homes. Um, I was kind of the guy in the room that said, hang on a minute, you know, we, we should probably think about the security of this. You know, if, if, if you're going to be deploying millions of products worldwide, you know, you need to think about even the, the, the legal aspects to protect yourselves, let alone, you know, the, the end users uh, data, the security and, and everything involved. Um, so I, I became, you know, that guy that was a bit of the naysayer in the room, you know, um, I, I don't call it negative, I call it realistic at the end of the day. Um, you know, we, we all uh, wish we could have had more foresight when, when delivering products. Um, you know, my previous roles was, was in, in IP uh, security solutions. So when CCTV cameras went uh, onto computer networks, um, it was very much a case of getting those products transitioned as quickly as we could. Security was the last thing on our mind. And, and, and you know, in, in a lot of ways, for, for good reason. Who would think that a CCTV camera could be used for, for harm uh, against its owner? So I, I kind of learned from that experience and when I was involved in the Internet of Things side and uh, devices which were controlling more than, you know, computers and, and, and users' phones in, in buildings and, and infrastructure. Um, I've always been the guy that's kind of said, you know, we should really take this seriously, think about the future implications of security um, and, and really trying to solve that as part of our solution delivery. Um, Unfortunately, you know, that that's not always well received. Um, uh, it doesn't make me very popular. Uh, you know, this is uh, <laughs> uh, not a sort of thing many people invite you to talk about at the pub, as you can imagine. But, uh, <laughs> you know, being being realistic in, in a world where, you know, manufacturers design devices to sell them at the end of the day, you know, they want to get their things out to the market as quickly as possible. They want to take advantage of being first to market or, or having a new thing, which everyone wants. Um, often you know security is an afterthought you know they'll, they'll sort of consider that as the last thing before they jump to market or perhaps not even at all um so my role has really been to sort of give people some options and and to think about some of the you know the real challenges with this because as i say the, these little devices they can cost like 10 20 pounds so they're, they're very small in terms of you know the hardware that we run as computers on the desktop or servers so they, you, you can't really just chuck an antivirus piece of software on them and hope for the best. I mean, you can't even install that software on them. So there really needs to be a different way of thinking. And um, through working in these markets, I, I had to think a lot <laughs> uh, because there was no, there was no standard. There was no way to do this. Um, so in, in doing that, I kind of found a couple of solutions that, that really resonated with me from a technology standpoint, um, also from a future business model standpoint. Um, so when uh, our, our venture capitalist stepped in and, and bought uh, the assets I was working on at GE, um, it was quite clear that uh, it was time to move on to something else. 
Um, so yeah, I started section 20 off the back of a customer essentially saying you haven't finished your work for us. So you need to start your own company. So, um, so I did, um, immediately partnered with what I see as probably, you know, the best security company on the planet at the moment, um, happens to be British, happens to be out of Cambridge. Um, and, you know, I partnered with them two days before I even started the company, uh, a brand called Darktrace. Um, they've been kind of instrumental in, in solving a lot of the challenges in, in this emerging space uh, in my past. Um, so they, they were a very logical uh, choice to work with moving forward. Um, so they've kind of been my kind of core brand from day one because the tech is just very different to anything else out there. Um, you know, they've been around a little while in terms of cybersecurity world, um, but their product has evolved at such a rate. They've, they've really become one of the, the, the you know, the, the best IT brands that the UK has right now. Um, the support we get from them as well is just it's i mean people use the term partnership a lot and uh you know uh they, they sing praises of partners but these guys really are part of our company you know the way we work is is very hands-on um it's very consultative um so our, our process is you know if, if someone's interested in seeing this technology the best thing we can do is build you a server we ship it to site we install it uh, with you in your network that then learns all your network and when i say network i mean everything that sits on the network not just your pcs but down to your air conditioning photocopier uh internet of things devices whatever it may be and it kind of learns how they all interact and how they work in in the world where they should work um it then basically is able to establish what we call a pattern of life or a normal behavior if anything then deviates from that pattern of life, um, that's considered suspicious. Now that's the kind of thing an IT uh, guy would sit on a, on a, on a sock and, and, and review this kind of problem. Our product actually does that all for them. Um, so it's a completely automated um, AI, which essentially is monitoring for anything anomalous at all happening. Um, and then we're able to give you kind of a, um, uh like a, a traffic light system so uh you know a, a a very red symbol obviously is something you need to look at quite quickly uh amber is you know obviously not quite so uh serious but could could have a, a potential impact on the business or operations um and then obviously the most basic forms of alerts um come up in in a very simple to, to manage uh, user interface um we have two stages of that so we have a reportable stage and then the next stage we move on to is, is what we call a fully autonomous response piece um so this time of year most people are, uh, are enjoying some form of holiday um certainly it teams in offices are reduced this is the time of year when uh, hackers have got new laptops for Christmas, uh, <laughs> lots of GPU power to unleash and lots of uh, software as a service can, can be purchased to, to do really whatever you want from a malicious point of view these days. So it, it doesn't really add up that, you know, the, the defences are down, the attackers are up. So having a product like this it essentially just sits in the background and it can autonomously respond to any known threats. Um, and it doesn't do that in a big aggressive way. If you've got, you know, a production server building a million pounds worth of equipment an hour, it's not going to turn off the production. But what it can do is surgically kill the malicious processes at a network layer. Um, so our users really don't actually see anything happening. Um, the, the AI takes care of all of this automatically for them. So that's the main kind of motivator of what we do. Um, it solves, as I say, a big problem at the minute that a lot of markets have really been kind of losing sleep over. You know, if, if you had an infrastructure of hundreds and hundreds of IP connected devices and you go and put your head on your pillow, what's happening to those devices? Um, and, you know, many businesses now have massive reliance on, on these products which run things for them. Um, so without them, you know, they, they could potentially be uh, in trouble, let alone, you know, the, the, the health and safety aspect, you know, the, the potential loss of life is, is really what we're trying to address, you know, that these uh, solutions are engineered in buildings now to be completely connected. 
Um, and really without people understanding the impact, you know, simply turning off someone's fresh air handling unit, for instance, or reversing the, the, the pumps, you know, things like this could, can lead to, to big problems in the future, as you can imagine. So, yeah, we're, we're trying to deal with it now with people and, um, you yeah, use our experience to, to kind of make this, uh, make this a bit of a safer place for people to deploy products onto their networks. Yeah, really interesting. And it's funny because, you know, often, um, especially in design and in the UX world, the UI world, uh, we tend to think of UX and doing that type of work as, you know, wireframes and uh, the sort of discovery phase of doing research and things like that. But if UX is the experience of using digital products, just everything to do with the experience of, of that usage, then cybersecurity is really important, has a massive impact on the experience. Um, I think that when we, uh, so recently we were working on the, we, we were speaking about this before, a cybersecurity portal. And the first thing that came up, we looked at pain points that people have when using things uh, like these SOC portals. Um, SOC is security operations control. Is that the right? Center. Operations center. center. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yes. Yeah, a lot of acronyms for me to, to learn recently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and he said uh, sometimes, you know, getting data back from these unstructured databases is one of the things that could be a pain point. So if you put in a request, it could take, you know, four hours for it to come back, or it could be an overnight job. So just things like that that have a big impact. And then as you say, like, if you're able to turn somebody's, if you're a malicious attacker, turn off somebody's clean air or something, has a huge impact on your experience. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of that, you know, is about putting yourself in their shoes, like any kind of, you know, design around a user, it's got to be centric about the user understanding their life, you know, that these guys have a tough life, you know, that I've never called an IT manager, or an IT director or a CISO. And he said, Yeah, I've got loads of budget, loads of time. What, what do you want to chat about? It, it doesn't really work that way. These guys are often vastly underfunded. You know their roles have expanded massively if you think about it you know i, I work with uh, one of the best it managers in the country uh, my property developing company and uh, you know his, his role if you look at it he's been in the business uh, i won't say how long but a, a very long time um and that's really expanded from you know a desktop pc which didn't have really any form of network connectivity was just a terminal essentially to then a PC and a printer, and then a connection to the outside world, and then a server came along, and, and he's had to learn all these things. And that's fine, you know, you look at the average uh, company these days, they, they, they are heavily dependent on technology, and it's more than a computer. Nowadays, with everything that's transitioning, you know, over the last 10, 20 years, really, you've had everything from access control systems, mentioned CCTV, HVAC systems, building management systems, all of these things, for various reasons, have, have been transitioning to network-based technologies. Now, these were inherently analog technologies. If you look at, say, fire alarm systems still, they still have proprietary cables, they still have a closed loop. They do then connect into, for instance, be able to automatically open the windows in the event of a fire. So if you've got a connection to something, as soon as you start connecting those systems, you then say, well, yes, the fire system is secure, but let's have a look at the, the, um, the window system. These guys didn't put any security and it can send back commands to the fire system. So why would I hack something that's actually secure when I could just go and hack the insecure aspect? And that's really the same when you look at all these data feeds, you know, with uh, with APIs and the way that people interface these days. People trust APIs, you know, inherently. Oh, we've got a feed coming in, there's data. Great, okay, it works, let's use it. Nobody then asks, well, what are the dependencies on this data? What are the lines of demarcation? What are the lines of security within that data? What's the impact on GDPR of what we're doing? And what happens when it breaks? can you even visualize how that data is being transitioned into your network and once somebody then can can almost reverse engineer that and say well yeah they're taking data yeah they've got great firewalls we can't get past them we can't fish them but they've got a trusted source 
that's already going into the network, let's actually circumvent the trusted source and then we don't have to hack them. We're almost trusted as hackers at that point. So people think very laterally um, and, and that's really the big risk. But as I say, understanding what these guys go through, you know, if I call a client and they say not now, I can't take it personally because usually that means there's there's a fire happening literally sometimes. Mm. Wow. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I have to understand how these guys work. Um, you know, we we have to be, I think, very respectful of what they do. You know, that there's you know millions of people now working from home, um, and all their systems have just continued functioning. You know, these these guys are, are actual heroes to uh, being able to enable this transition out there. So. For us, it's about really understanding their challenges, what they go through, and then getting into their heads. You know, what will work for them? If, if they've been in the office for 12 hours and they need to leave and there's a security incident, are these the people that are going to just go to bed and ignore that? No, of course they're not. They're going to need a way to actually then solve it 24-7. Now, if that means they can offset that work, great to, to a person great but how often does that happen you know there's there, there's millions of, of security positions in the world and and they're always under resourced um people need to sleep whereas our system doesn't ever need to sleep so i think that's really what it gives them the ability to even have like a, a secure mobile phone app now where you know you can get an alert that says you know you're out of the office you turned on fully autonomous mode this happened a user opened a phishing email this is the steps we took go back to sleep and and really that's that's um that's the kind of workflow for us that that really makes us smile at the end of the day because we we would be happy with that ourselves if uh, if a product could just say no it's, it's all cool you know that's um that that's really what what we're happy about at the end of it um you know there's been a recent um attack through uh solar winds i don't know if you heard about um that that but um yeah basically hackers used again a trusted software that people use it's installed so again anything passed through it is essentially trusted traffic um our clients, you know, would have would have been protected. You know, even though that's that's a trusted product, it wouldn't have been red flagged by most traditional, conventional methods of detection. Our product still would have looked at that and said, "Well, it, it usually behaves this way, and for some reason, it's now behaving completely differently." So we're going to stop that behaviour until we can understand it. Um, so for us, you know, even even the kind of what we class as zero day attack attacks out there or, or physical attacks or combination of zero day and physical attacks means that our customers are protected every device is protected so that, that's really important for us yeah wow really interesting yeah i think last time we spoke you mentioned something similar um if you're a cybersecurity risk manager and something comes up at 2 p.m in the afternoon you're able to respond to that and that's fine but if it's, as you were saying before, sort of 3 a.m. on a Sunday morning, it's unlikely that, you know, you're going to be in front of your laptop at that point. <laughs> so you need to have some kind of autonomous um, system way of dealing with that threat. And uh, yeah, I love the idea of, of just the, the products being able to have a response that's been automated and that just tells the user, yeah, that's fine, go back to bed. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah I mean, well, as you say, I mean, what it comes down to is, it's quite a bold statement but in the last sort of two years humanity essentially has lost the war against the hackers um and, and the reason for that is the same reason that that we're positive about our response from a defense standpoint you know these guys are using ai from an offense standpoint now so why would you as a hacker spend hours of reconnaissance trying to you know get into someone's network when you can hop on the dark web you can get a pay-as-you-go service where it's literally hacking for hire you know you, you buy some software you point it at a network and it does its work but that ai based software will use very clever things like it will work out the number of it users it will work out the number of activity it will work out their hours so it will say oh that's a uk based company there's one junior sock guy uh, who works sunday uh, graveyard shift so the ai will actually escalate the attack based on you know logical information and that's you know that's the kind of reconnaissance stuff that that the hardcore hackers used to have to do manually that's all automated now so you know when you're fighting automation 
you know, these these systems can scan at ridiculous rates now. I mean, we've seen 1,000 PLCs, uh, programmable logic controllers. So these are like um, machine controllers, essentially, which you can put software on. They did a thousand of those in 59 seconds recently. Um, and that was oh. an AI based <laughs> attack. It was, it, you know, ransomware it encrypted everything and all of those machines just turned off. No production could continue at all until that was resolved. Wow. So when you see that kind of power unlaunched, you know, it, with all the will in the world, even if you're the best of the best and, you know, you're paid a fortune to sat in a, in, in a sock 24 seven, you know, how can you respond to what we class as machine speed attacks now? It, it's a really, really tough ask of, it, of anyone, you know, even using all the best tools and training known to, to the IT team. If, if you can't respond at the same speed of, of a machine, essentially you're going to lose that battle. Wow, really interesting. Yeah. So what was that again? Sorry, it was machine speed attacks. Machine speed attacks, yeah, it really means that that you know you, you're not reliant on on a guy at a keyboard hacking away at this stuff. It essentially drops what we call multiple payloads to to test and to and, and to escalate its privileges very very quickly. Um, you know, this is all you know pre-configured in advance. As soon as a connection is made, it's got all of this pre-configured data. If this happens, do that. If that response happens get this and it's very much a, a package which just drops in now and and that does everything i mean there, there's a whole framework around these things uh there's a platform called metasploit uh if, if anyone wants to look it up there is very legitimate reasons it's not something you're going to get in trouble for looking up it's actually a pen testing framework so it, it can actually penetrate websites devices networks whatever and it's designed for to be a pen tester's tool. So official security uh, companies like us can use file? this. What is a pen tester, by the way? I've heard that before, but I'm not sure. It stands for penetration test, and it's it's huh. its inception was quite simple, but it's it's become a very broad term now, mainly because of the way that technology stacks are. You know, they are very broad. There isn't. A thing you can just penetrate and uh, and say that we we've broken the security. Nowadays, if you if you can hack a, a physical device, it's actually about the, for instance, the intellectual property, the code that runs that device. So you would want to make sure that that's secure. But then also there's the aspect that that's sending data back usually to an aggregation hub. So what happens in that exchange? Can you break the data exchange in there? Can you get the data from the aggregation hub? The aggregation hub then talks to the cloud. Um, so can you then gain access back to the cloud? Can you steal someone's entire client database? So pen testing, you know, it is, is kind of quite laid out and quite developed as a, as a standard. And there are many, many security companies you can go and get a, a standard pen test based on a framework, which is fine. You know, it ticks your box, you pass your security audit. If you get breached, everyone, you can say, hey, I, I paid money, here's my certificate. The problem I have with that is, is that hackers use the same frameworks. So they know the things that you're tested and protected against. So why would they bother using them? They would use other methodologies. Um, and that's really where, where we come at it for, from more of a kind of, we class ourselves more as a, a proactive red team. So that's kind of, we combine physical pen testing um, of a building or, or an area with what we could then exploit from, from a technology standpoint. So a, a simple one from one of our recent ones, we, we were able to gain access to a residential building with 150 people living in it within about 12 seconds of being on site um, through a, an underground car park garage door, which had a big wide spin and we just walked in after someone drove out. Um, we could then gain access to the air handling units for the whole building. Those had um, connections to obviously to be controlled by the building management system. They were unprotected. They weren't in a locked cage. So we could have unplugged those, plugged in a connection to our laptop and had full access to the building management system. We then gained access to the basement door um, and then we were able to find a cupboard uh, very quickly which housed all the switches which controlled all the CCTV cameras and all the access control for all of the interconnected building doors. Um, again, no firewalls, no protection, no locks, no tamper sensors, no nothing on this technology. So 
when you actually put yourself in a physical world and say, well, now I'm physically breaking in and hacking things in a physical world, and you combine that with then plugging in when you gain access in those areas, the danger then is you've got core access to not only that building, but all the buildings on the estate that it was connected back to. Um, so we, we, we find penetration testing, um, you know, is, is a massive area for us and, and something which we're very proud to work with some very proactive people on. Um, they have to have a very different mindset. Um, again, don't get invited out very often, but uh, <laughs> yeah, um, these are the kind of people that are suspicious of everything and they see gaps in everything. Um, and, you know, that they are everywhere if you look for them you know and it's it's such a shame because you know there are engineering standards in the physical world which are meant to stop these risks occurring you know if you look at for instance um, a cctv camera you usually see a steel conduit goes along the wall where the cable is and that's great armored protection so you can't break or disconnect the cable and then on the camera there's a hole and the conduit is supposed to go inside the camera and therefore you can't access the cable physically 99% of the ones you look at they don't actually install them in the hole they install them up to the hole and then they leave a gap so all you need is one razor blade slip through pull the cable in a little bit put a new rj45 connector on it plug it into your laptop and you've got core access to the whole cctv network wow that's straightforward oh, someone that yeah. someone has spent thousands and thousands of pounds getting that that steel conduit installed and then because engineers uh, just kind of shrug their shoulders at a design stage and don't actually do a particularly good job checking and signing off you then end up with all this risk in the world, which, you know, someone spent thousands of pounds, not engineered at all, and the solution is just a complete waste of money. Um, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that that got me to, to think in that way, uh, when you see all these these challenges in the world and how easy it is actually to to really break anything. Um, you know, if, if, if a person can think it, a person can break it, is always my, my, my understanding. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it kind of made me think of a movie when you were talking about that, situation where somebody could get into the control and then plug it into a, a laptop device um uh, you know you always think when you see something like that in a film oh yeah that's just for the movies surely that's not possible but from what you just just described it's quite realistic that somebody might be able to do that and really yeah uh, interesting i mean when we spoke before you mentioned that you know say for example someone were able to hack into the lights in the tunnel just turn them off then all of a sudden there's no lights people are driving through it's going to be a, a terrible accident so even something as small as seemingly insignificant as being able to turn off the lights uh if that's done in the wrong place it could have catastrophic effects and you know then your experience of using that tunnel which is a piece of technology is all of a sudden uh very different to what was intended so yeah yeah, I mean, that, that's a really, really scary scenario. But I mean, my, my scarier scenario, uh, you know, for me is is lights are often something which is connected to the internet and it's done for a proactive monitoring reason. So if a bulb goes out, your service agent knows there's a bulb out and he can send an engineer with the right bulb, come to site and fix it. Great, sounds perfect. Unfortunately, that means it's also broadcasting to the internet. So if you jump on a website called Shodan, you can then simply search, you know, have a look what lighting control system you've got. Search the name of that lighting control system and you'll see all of the products that are broadcasting publicly. You can then see their, their public IP address. You can jump on them. And if you know the username and password, which is usually the admin default, you can then connect to those devices. So if you were in, for instance, a big bank in London, Canary Wharf, uh, you know, you're all back to work on the 4th of July, uh, 4th of January, sorry, uh, and someone jumps in uh, to your lighting control system and puts it on strobe, flashing constantly. You know, if you think about an average sales floor, you're going to have, say, a thousand people on there. You will have a percentage of those people that will be affected by that with epileptic fits or whatever could occur. Who's legally responsible for that? You are as a company. Who are you going to call to fix that? You know, how many lighting control system installers know anything about IP security? None of them. 
they don't care it's not their business they just set up a remote link for remote monitoring that's it so these are really the challenges and when you think about how easy it would be to to really evacuate a building at that point you, you can't work as a bank if the lights are on strobe you can't be traders on a trading floor that that's not going to happen so when you look at going after the lowest kind of don't you know denominator lighting is 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 one of those key things now at the moment we've we've obviously got you know a situation where hackers i mean we're talking about a 30 billion dollar industry as a rough underestimate these guys are getting 94 percent of their money at the moment and it is hard cash uh out of email you know a, a technology from the 70s which for some reason we're still reliant upon in, in 2020 I, I i i'm not myself but uh, as a as a society it's still a massive thing you know we're using it in a way it was never designed to be used it's scaled so long now and and really it's like a you know a, a, the hundredth generation of a car you know just kill the thing make it a porsche 912 that you can't have any more 911s it's just done but no they keep on and on and on with email so 94 percent of attacks right now come in via email so that could be a phishing email that comes in just a stupid one that someone clicks on the corner cover i love you all those sort of viruses were the perfect examples of that back in the day um, you know, they got massive traction just from having a, a, a subject in, in the title, which people are going to click. Same now, it's Amazon, it's iTunes, it's the usual stuff, PayPal, anything that is going to get people's attention. So they're doing great with that. Uh, most of that spam traffic obviously is hitting the kind of web services emails, the Hotmails, the Yahoo's, the AOL, if anyone's still on there. But, uh, you know, it, it's going after those old email addresses that they know have been around for ages and, and, and they get pretty good results. Um, that was happening with the corporate world. Um, and then everyone went to Office 365 or cloud-based. Now it's really happening because if they get your 365 login, they're, they're really cooking on gas as far as that cloud access. Um, and then they sort of realize actually we can we can make a lot of money from kind of process holes in businesses so uh, a couple of guys started sending uh, invoices to people like Google and Amazon and Microsoft you know just small invoices you know we've washed your windows we've cut your grass we've done a service for consultancy and as long as they knew the purchase order number systems and everything was fine they were getting paid out, you know, they were getting paid. Uh, uh, and it turned out, you know, that they were exporting millions from these companies when you when you add all this this uh, scamming together. So that they, they knew people were kind of, you know, not prepared for, for people exploiting their process. So they developed something called spear phishing. Um, and, and that's really been quite prevalent at a high level. So people with financial decision making power, people with access to bank account information or company data it's very easy to do and and really what it relies on is is the, again the weak aspect is the person so it's very easy even to google me to find out oh ian likes music ian likes this ian likes that let's tailor an email that's going to get ian to click on this link so to, to fish to spearfish someone is to actually specifically target them by doing some research, doing some recon, finding out their Facebook, where they live, whether they've got kids, all this kind of stuff, all publicly information available, nothing illegal about that. But then crafting a campaign that goes into their inbox that, that has a much, much higher rate of success. Um, so that's been going on quite a while. Um, you know, things like uh, sending an email quickly to a CFO, um, appearing to be from the CEO saying, I've just authorized the payment. We need to get this product shipped. Please send Bitcoin to this address. It's from the CEO. It's got my signature. It's got my email address, everything that's perfect. CFO is going to look at that and go, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. And he'll send that payment. So that's, that's very common. What's tending to be happening more as we move a bit away from uh, email within corporate land is uh, smishing. So uh, SMS based doing the same thing. Um, but the way they're doing this now is if we're having a conversation on a, on a phone over text, it becomes part of a conversation. It's not just a message, it's back and forward. 
did you see the game last night? Yes, it was rubbish. Man United are going to lose. You know, they're, they're never going to win the Premier League. Oh, by the way, can you send me 20 quid? That's a bit weird, but yeah, okay, I'll just click the link and send it. That, can you send me 20 quid, was monitored by someone. So our conversation had been monitored and they will just interject as me or you and pretend that they're part of the conversation. That is a very scary development. Um, and you really have to be very on the ball. And I think most people have learned to be on the ball, but we're not perfect as humans. And the main time we're not perfect is when we're tired, busy and stressed. And if you've got four things to do and you've only got two seconds to do them, we tend to try and do them all. And then one of those things could be that one message that catches you out. Um, that's why companies run often, you know, phishing campaigns. They're checking their staff. Uh, one company I won't mention over Christmas sent out a you're getting a thousand pound Christmas bonus message to all its staff. When they clicked it, it actually turned out, haha, you've just been uh, spearfished. <laughs> this was a security test. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that. I don't know if they're going back in January or not, but uh, I'm not sure I would after that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's quite scary, ah, as I say, the, the stuff people are doing, but that's all about money. You know, they can get money straight right. away. Yeah. We see the next evolution yeah. as kind of email holes are shut and people like Darktrace, Barracuda, another one of our partners have developed technology, AI, which can actually detect even the best spearfishing at the inbox and then won't deliver it to the user so as more and more tech like that comes to the market and then someone like microsoft yahoo all the big webmail companies then implement that kind of level of, of protection for inboxes in in the cloud in the, in the public world i i can see a big drop off happening you know we're at 94 percent of email um threat uh, you know is, is the is the main root cause right now but as this tech has an impact, you are going to see a drop off. And these guys are not just going to give up. And my worry is that, you know, they're going to have to be more and more kind of moralless, essentially, you know, they're, they're already going after hospitals and stopping, you know, uh, leukemia patients getting scans and stuff like this. I mean, these guys don't have morals and they, they, they do not care, you know, uh, about the impact of, of taking these systems ransom. So, wow. you know, you can see as, as email stops to work, they're not just going to, you know, say, oh, okay, we'll just give up our, our industry. They're going to pivot. And our research shows, you know, that they're already inside a lot of major national infrastructure networks. Um, you know, if they can get into the solar, the electronic electrical systems, all of these sort of things very easily it's so much easier to go after someone's building and just lock all the doors you know hack a hotel lock all the all the guests in you know we're, we're not we're not um letting your guests out until you pay the ransom you know that's already happened in switzerland so it's going to happen more and more <laughs> wow yeah. Wait, wait. So in, in Switzerland, yeah. there was a cybersecurity attack. Everybody. They, they didn't really give out all the details, but um, let's just say the publicly published crazy. information is that eighty-five percent of people that are ransomed pay the ransom, and those are the ones that have publicly said it. <laughs> so to me, that probably means about ninety-nine percent. Um, wow! Right, and okay. the problem is, so you mentioned before around yeah. That, 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 right. that's a, yeah, cybercrime, it, it, that's a rough industry Crazy. guess at the moment. But you mentioned before, again, it's so diverse now with cryptocurrency and everything else happening. You know, there's, there's theoretically, there are a security impacts on, say, crypto channels, which are hijacked or 51% attacked um, and, and rules are changed and then money is stolen out of those. That, that, that could actually be that money again. So uh, it's... Uh, it, theoretically, as we're putting the world economy into into technology's hands, you know th these numbers are going to get jump massively. I would suggest. It's crazy. 
so many things going on there. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, last time we spoke, um, we, we kind of talked about how cybersecurity is starting to become, people are becoming more aware of the need for it in the kind of mainstream. Um, I actually saw somebody that's a, uh, that's a gamer uh, the other day, and he was promoting a mm. VPN service that was uh, to give people better security. I think he was kind of advocating for more security. He was sort of changing his tone from his normal content. And... Um, uh, but we we spoke about this, and you mentioned that yeah, VPN I mean VPNs are used in a couple of ways. Way of um, again, there's kind of a corporate world that we're used to. Essentially, those. most firewalls have the ability that. to issue a kind of uh, encrypted connection out to the users. Traditionally used for salespeople on the road who want to do a quote or whatever. Um, it was kind of good enough for that, and it, it's worked fine for that for for a long time. Um, the other side of that, of course, is is a VPN uh, from a personal point of view that will essentially encrypt all the data from your device right through to the internet um, uh, exit point, essentially. So you're paying for a connection between you and someone else. They then deal with your connection to the internet. Um, the reasons you do that, as I just said, is everything from your device is encrypted. So if you're sat in a coffee shop and you happen to connect to Starbucks Wi-Fi, may not be Starbucks Wi-Fi. That could be you know, someone else spoofing Starbucks Wi-Fi. Now, if you connected onto that without a, a VPN in place, everything that you send, including your bank's numbers or your account numbers or whatever you, you email someone, all of that data can be in, intercepted and read by whoever's running that access point. And it's a common method that, that people use to, to steal from you. If you had a VPN on your laptop, your mobile, whatever device you're using, it, it encrypts all that data to a, a very high standard, actually, um, and then sends that in, in kind of a wrapped in a package format. So even if it went through a rogue malicious access point, it would be very difficult, if not impossible, for the person to intercept that data. So that's the main reason people are using them now. Um, it's you know it's more important, obviously, if you're out and about a lot. Um, you know what we call rogue access points or or pineapples uh, are often kind of easy to connect to. Um, you know that that's the way the world is these days. So. Um, the main challenge we have at the moment is we've mentioned this transition to everyone sort of working from home. They reckon, you know, over 50, 60 percent uh, transitioned last year to, to work from home because of everything that supposedly went on. Um, so, you know, this tech was never really designed to work in that way. Um, you know, you've got a lot of people sort of almost kind of blindly saying, well, we're, we're encrypted, so that's fine. And it is to a point. But these systems can only take a certain amount of throughput. They can only take a certain amount of you know, users on them before they start to, to creak. Um, they're not always built to the scale that's now required. Um, so that's really the main issue. But obviously, you know, all these people being out and about in different locations, the security risks are massive to people. Um, and the way we work as users has changed. You know, we've mentioned Office 365. You now need an internet connection to read a Word document. I mean, that wasn't the case a, a few years ago. So, you know, you've got that. You've then got most people have some sort of form of customer relationship management, CRMs, as a like HubSpot, or if you're sales focused, maybe Salesforce. Uh, you've then got process, uh, ERP, things like SAP and Oracle services. All of this is in the cloud. If you're a creative guy, you might have Adobe and, and all this other stuff. So you've got all these cloud services that are all kind of siloed work areas where people have to firstly authenticate, they have to you know, find usernames and passwords for all of this stuff. All of that can be stolen and, 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 and used against you as a company. So people are looking for an, actually a, an evolution. You know, you, when, when all this stuff's happened, the way you do security, the way you do user management has to evolve with it um, to just use the old methodologies and, and expect it to actually give you the functionality and protection that, that, you, that you want. It's, it's just not the case. Um, so we're using some really cool tech um, uh, based on something called CASB, which is called a Cloud Application Security Broker. Um, so we work with one of the most innovative brands called Bitglass. Um, and essentially what they do is, is provide you an abstraction layer. So if you're a user and you're signing in in the morning, 
you don't want to deal with all of these different services you want to just sign in and be secure so we have the opportunity to kind of authenticate you into a layer before the clouds all, all up there um, that layer then deals with the security for all of the different cloud applications that, that you work with today and potentially tomorrow as an organization um, it can do things like dual factor authentication so it can use a device or an authenticator uh, like Google or, or whatever you, you, you choose so there's there's all kinds of options to actually evolve and change this and make it a much smoother much more in line with the way you work um, but at the moment you know people have, uh, have had to rush things through so uh, you know we're obviously expecting things to be kind of busier in January as, as really we, we sort of get to this level of acceptance that this is now kind of the normal um, you know I still believe people will return to offices in some form but, you know, when you look at the logic even behind it, uh, Twitter did an amazing um, explanation of their kind of rent, their desk space costs and everything. And it's the numbers they spend globally uh, a week, you can imagine, just on renting desk spaces. But, uh, yeah, they now have other issues that they've bought very new buildings. They've, you know, put a lot of money into making them how they want them as a tech business. So... And to be honest, there aren't any other customers out there that are just saying, oh, we need building space at the moment. So companies find themselves with a lot of actual assets out there. So uh, much as a building is seen as an asset at the moment, it's actually quite a, a, a weight around people's neck because even your basic, say, buildings insurance is based on 50% minimum occupancy. So people are there so if you know a burst pipe occurs or a fire occurs the chance of it being reported before the whole building is destroyed is is a lot higher if there's you know that we, we we model one building that's usually got around 1500 people a day in it in the last year it's had less than 50 so when you look at that impact if there was say, a burst pipe on on the sixth floor at the back end of the conference room when that would be discovered we don't know at the moment you know if the security guards didn't bother going in there one night it could be 24 hours before that was even discovered so when you understand the impact of these assets on businesses you know they really do have to look at proactive ways to to kind of change things now and you know much as um a lot of the smart building stuff I did was about the, uh, the the user, you know, the user experience, how they interface with the building, how they can get the most value from from that money the company's spending on them. Um, now, if there's no user there, you know, a smart technology really doesn't have the same kind of application anymore. But that's not to say that that same tech couldn't be pivoted to provide a bit more um, data and, and manageability be, uh, around the digital assets and physical assets that they've got distributed around Europe still. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a big evolution. And, um, yeah, as I say, I, I, I'm all for it. Well, I, I hope, you know, we, we can actually keep logic in, in our pocket for once when we're designing these systems. To me, it didn't ever seem logical to, to spend five hours of my day in a car or in a steel tube being stressed and cold and catching God knows what um, common cold off people. Um, it, it never really seemed to add up to me. So um, it, it was a nice time to listen to some music and read, but it seemed like a waste of my time. So um, having some more efficient systems, you know, I, I think we've, we've got a good opportunity to, to, to think about it and design things in as, as we change. Yeah, wow, really interesting. And smart buildings and the way that mm. the Internet of Things ties into the need for you know, optimized security and stuff that doesn't rely on there being a user present. That's really, really interesting. You know, like what is the, what is the sort of uh, the intermediate yeah. technology that could be implemented to then make the ultimate experience, which is just, is something wrong or not, <laughs> um, a, a better one? Really, really interesting stuff, and especially with the move to uh, you mentioned things becoming more, more connected, and then you know, uh, autonomous machinery taking more and more of a prevalent role in society. 
especially with things like electric cars. Mm. And we had a, a guest on the, the one previous to this uh, who spent a lot of time working on HMI uh, in the automotive industry and now also on yachts and other things like that. And um, yeah, with, with electric cars becoming, uh, well, in some parts of the world, it will only be possible to drive electric cars in, in five, 10 years or so. Super interesting. Um, so one of the things that came up in, in some research we did on the portal we were designing a couple of weeks ago, um, one of the users said that one of the mm -hmm. pain points he had in working on those security operations sensors, those portals that do that, uh, were false positives, which was an interesting thing. So the system giving yeah. you data that seems uh, like real data, but it was uh, not real data. Is that the right way? Perhaps you could describe for us what a false positive yeah. is. And yeah, false positives um, is probably the, the bane of most, uh, most IT people's kind of, lives, uh, to be honest. It's, um, to, to that. it's kind of based on um, original rule-based technologies. So if this happens then do that so you can broadly kind of define an event and configure devices to respond off the back of that or to give a report or to give data or whatever it might be now simple in simplistic terms if someone was to jump on a network and do for instance a uh, port scan so to find all available open ports to them your average excel desktop user probably not aware of those commands and has never shown any history of doing that. Now there's no reason why that would occur. So straight away, that would be some malicious activity. So a network operations guy would get a report in whatever platform he uses and say, this user, desktop, blah, 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 floor 12, did this at this time and this was the incident. Now, a perfect example of a false positive would be him saying, oh, this user's just done this and Gary sat next to him, turns around and says, yeah, I went down and had to do some work on our computer to configure it. Now, the software has shown something which is true. So it, it's positive. You need to respond to this. But it's false because it wasn't done in a malicious act. It was actually an IT operations guy who did it. So these are the kind of, that's a very basic explanation of it. Something happens that, that should be considered as bad, but actually because of another reason, it's, it, it's fine actually. Now that happens obviously at a much more complex level when you start talking about multiple servers interfacing across the world, cloud applications, mobile users and everything else going on. Your rule set becomes very complex. So the more rules you try and add, the more kind of, things you try and write out of it so the more more false positives you get the worse it's working if you don't get very many false positives then that means you're evolving your process to actually being quite refined so we had one alarm this week it was for this and i'm glad it alarmed because i needed to know this that is a is a low false positive environment if you had a an alarm tray with hundreds of alarms in it after a system had been in for a year it's not doing a very good job and it's pushing out lots of false positives. That really is the problem with kind of the old way of doing things, rule-based technologies. It, you can only really define what you already know. Now, the difference with handing it over to an AI-based technology is really it's based on, I think, 15 different rule sets and algorithms. So we're talking about a much more complex set of, of objectives and um, and rules need to be ticked and or not ticked to, to actually generate an outcome. So that in itself means that false positives are greatly reduced. The solution, once we put it in, we put a server into your environment, completely free of charge, built bespoke to, you, to your environment, wherever you want to test it. Once that goes in, we leave it to learn. Now that will generate false positives for two weeks probably. But at the end of the two-week period, it will have very few false positives. What we then do is we jump on, used to be a meeting where you used to be able to drink tea and like shake people's hands and things. But nowadays we do it uh, across the internet as, um, as is required. I know, it's weird. I know, show my age here. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, we jump online, we do some consultation. Uh, and essentially <laughs> we, we will show you what we've learned in that period. Um, we've never ever 
had a network at that point where we were able to say nothing wrong with that yeah it's perfect there's always something um now whether whether that turns into anything serious is is really down to the client and how they interpret that information once we go through that we explain why it's in the report what what's important why we believe it's it should be addressed by the organization they then can go off and address that find out about it but the, the truth is our product is is a single source of information so when you're in kind of it you've got switches you've got routers you've got firewalls you've got servers you've got multiple virtual machines you've got internet connections you've got all these different things monitoring everything so if you have a security incident you can go and you can look at the interfaces and all of those you can download physical data logs you can read all the reports and you probably still not have a clue what's been going on the great thing about this platform is it takes all that data into into a single form of context so you can actually see visually this user physically see them on a on a world map see them open up a connection see the red connection move out to the world see it move to a server that then happened that then happened and you get actual visual context you can also click export report at that point so if you're a low-level IT guy you can then escalate that to um, someone more senior even if you're a senior guy you could escalate that to your CISO or CFO or whoever and say you know I'm doing a great job here this is this is how well we're protected um, this platform would have had this issue today but because of the the, the uh, product we've we've used it's completely stopped that and, and we haven't had any downtime so I think that's that's really important to be able to kind of um, you know make these guys heroes within their own businesses. As I say, they they do a good job. And um, somebody actually uh, gave me a great quote yesterday, uh, recently, actually, and and said um, if you're in the technology sector of your business, making this purchase uh, can be can be called a career defining purchase which I actually thought was, was really good because it, it really puts you on the radar of everyone in, in, the build, in the building and it makes them aware that how important security is. You know, we've said it's crept into our own personal lives. We need to be aware that people aren't going to steal our information, but there's a lot more to it than that. You know, there's some of the stuff that's coming out now, they're, they're going after plastic surgery companies, for instance. There's one being held to ransom I was reading about this morning. They're, they're saying they're going to release all the plastic surgery before and after photos that are taken of their entire client base unless they pay ransomware. And, you know, I, I'm not someone who's personally affected by that, but I can imagine that there are people out there that if I'd had plastic surgery, I wouldn't want the world seeing it um, just as a normal person, let alone if I was one of these public figures that they have today, which do very little, but have some sort of public um, kind of uh, impact and, and go on social media and talk or whatever. If, if those guys come out as having all this stuff done to them then you know that really can that could lose their careers so you know what would then be the legal impact from their point of view so you've really got to think about all all the way these guys operate and and the fact that they they just have absolutely no morals or you know they, they will go after anything if it means they can make money from it today or in the future then you know they're, they're angling for a way to do that Wow, it's unbelievably malicious, right? To go after a plastic surgery company and then release those photos. So, you know, I mean, I, I've never had anything like that. I'm in a similar position to yourself. I, I don't know what that would be like, but I would imagine, you know, very personally, personal thing to do to have something changed, but then to be under threat as a company for all those people to have their data released. Wow, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, as you say, these guys don't really have very many morals. Uh, a bit scary, isn't it? When you think about it that way, it is. It is. But that's the thing. You know that there is a lot of injustice in the world, and um, you know, even if we can just help one person to 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 get around that and and to stop, you know, being fearful of of, of something, then yeah, that that's a really good feeling for me. Um, and you know, it's something that's that's very motivating and. Um, you know, it's the reason why we do what we do. You know, we, we aim to protect 
people that are doing good things in the world and um you know we're, we're working with several charities at the moment um that you know we really believe do great things and you know we we, we try and help them as much as we can you know obviously this is about money to a point but for me it's is when you look at the costs uh, and the potential threats that, that that are happening on a daily basis now um you know if, if we can stop that for for anyone then you know that that really is uh, very empowering amazing i really love that um so ian i'm, I'm conscious of time uh, it's been really great chat so i'm so grateful to have you on uh this this podcast and be able to talk to you about this stuff uh really really Pleasure. great yeah so so where can people find you online uh linkedin the real ian cundy on linkedin um then uh, section 20 on linkedin we we were pretty hot with producing lots of uh, information pre-pandemic but uh yeah that kind of dropped off a little bit but yeah we're looking to to maybe keep our clients a bit more informed uh over the next year uh obviously section 20 website um uh, you can contact us on there. Uh, we run a bit on Facebook and Twitter occasionally as well. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm going to be speaking at uh, CCTV User Group as soon as that comes back online. I'll be at all the kind of um, IT IoT events as soon as they start coming back online. Um, I, I really enjoy doing these podcasts. Only the second one I've done, but um, I, I think it's great to be able to um, you know just uh, talk openly about things that that, that are affecting us and. Um, yeah, the, the the more we talk, the 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 more people are going to be aware of, uh, you know, the, the the risks out there, and uh, and hopefully we we can help uh, protect them. But uh, yeah, if anyone, as I say, has any any needs, anything they want to talk about, we're very open, very consultative, very approachable. We're able to talk uh, in real language as well as acronyms, if 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 you like that type of thing, um, and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we, 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 our phone's always on. As I say, we, we didn't even turn our phones off on Christmas Day this year. So Amazing. Love it. And finally, UX Consulting Academy is an online resource for UX consultants. And usually at this point, at the end of the podcast, I ask a question relevant to the work that my guest does. And in this case, it would be cybersecurity. But what I would love to ask you in closing is if there's anybody listening that might be engaged in some kind of malicious activity, if there's anybody that is a hacker themselves mm. and perhaps they're a bit younger, perhaps they just haven't got to a point where they're ready to engage in some kind of moral thinking, um, what can that person do? Should they now be thinking about becoming a cybersecurity risk manager, taking their skills and rather than using them for the ill, rather using them for, for good and making the world a more secure place for people. What can that person that might be coming into a position where they want to engage in this type of work, what, what can they do right now to get started? Yeah, that's a really great question, actually. And, and you, you are addressing a lot of people out there that, that kind of feel like I did when I was young, really frustrated by not having a home and, and not being able to find your your workplace because essentially the goalposts are always moving you know this is technology what what you learn today is out of date tomorrow so you need to be constantly part of something and um we've mentioned kind of the established frameworks and ways of doing things so there are some great organizations out there hack the box is is one of them where you can go and, and actually test on on servers and, and machines which are set up with all the pitfalls all the honeypots all the negative stuff for you to learn how to do things the right way i've mentioned metasploit uh, there's a great uh, software build called uh, kali linux uh, which most of them will get on and, and do various testing whether it be physical uh, devices or, or online services um, so there's loads of stuff you can do but for me I think the best experience is, is actually to get jobs in areas which aren't cyber uh, and be that guy that, that actually brings advice. So, you know, think about what's around here. There's a garden center up the road. You know, that why would I go and speak to them if I'm interested in cyber? Go and get a Saturday job there, go and stack pots for them and then tell them, actually, your CCTV system's not very secure. Oh, your credit card terminals are all broadcasted on an insecure network. Oh, and your EPOS system has got the default password. How do you know all this? Oh, I'm just interested in this. And that, to me, has always been much more valuable, being part of, of 
the world and actually understanding people and how they how they operate then when you come into cyber you you then become a trusted expert you become the go-to guy and and that really feels good you feel like you you, you do have a, a place in, in 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 any company then um so to me it took me a long time to understand that that there's kind of two parts to, to cyber security there's very much the the framework the defined way to do things and you can have a job in that and it's it's very repetitive and it ticks a box that's fine or you can you can be what i call a, a real free thinker and you can actually look at the world in a different way and you can go out there you can probe things you can test things you can write reports on it uh, and you can learn about yourself and you can learn so much about the way the world works you know you can see nature in electronics if you believe that you know it's it's just amazing the way everything interfaces together and if if you can get under the skin of that um you, you never really have a boring day because it, it wakes you up every day and you're just there's a, there's always something to kind of consider it's it's not quite being a scientist but it's it's up there you know it really keeps your brain active and um it, you know for, for me that that would be the route I would go, you know, to, to actually be yourself, to be happy in life uh, and, and find things which interest you and, and just let your brain run with, with, with wherever you end up. Um, and don't worry about all this, this kind of stigma of, you know, where you work and who you work for. You know, everyone needs to get to, to that place where, where they know themselves. And, you know, we, we probably all have 20, 30 jobs before we get to the point where, we even have a clue at the end of it most people um so to me you know don't don't get caught up on working for you have to work for dark trace or you have to work for a big company or anything like that just live your life help people where you see fit and you will you will find more things which were either designed appallingly in the first place and, and need sorting or no one's ever thought about so that that would be my advice really Great. Thanks so much for that, Ian.